Greetings and welcome to the Southern Witching Hour podcast. You are now entering a liminal space, an in-between place, a realm of Southern supernatural stories and lore told in timeless time. For those of you who need more specifics, the Southern Witching Hour is right now. And I am your host, Lady G, a natural-born historian, storyteller, humorist, and writer with family ties in Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. Now, if you're looking for me, I'll be in the southern skies, north of the sunset, east of the moonrise at twilight. In today's episode, we're talking about magic, what it is, who practices it, and where to find magic practitioners. But first, I'll give you the origin story on my interest in magic. In the past, whenever I thought of magic, my mind automatically conjured images about everyone's favorite 1960s housewife, Samantha Stevens. I can't help it. I'm a Gen Xer. So Bewitched was my introduction to the idea of magic. I can still imagine that beautiful cartoon witch on her broom zooming over a shadowed cityscape on our black and white TV. In fact, it is one of my earliest memories. I love that show, but I just couldn't understand why Sam's husband, Darren, didn't want her to use her magic. Clearly, he didn't have any religious hangups about it, because if he did, he never would have married her. I mean, who wants to go to hell? (laughs) End of story, right? I guess the show producers and writers didn't want to go down that dead end, so they styled Darren into one of those rugged individualists who wanted to pull himself up by his bootstraps without the help of his wife's funny business. Ah, but Samantha's mother and Dora offered a very compelling argument for why Samantha might never be happy in a magicless marriage. Endora, which is actually a play on the name Endor, as in the biblical witch of Endor, says this about being a witch. We are quicksilver, a fleeting shadow, a distant sound. Our home has no boundaries beyond which we cannot pass. We live in music, in a flash of color. We live on the wind and in the sparkle of a star. I never forgot that description, and I always secretly yearn to live on the wind and in the sparkling of a star. I want it to be magic. While researching the definition of magic, I decided to play around with chat GPT by asking it to define the term magic. Here is what it said. Magic can be defined in a variety of ways depending on the context, but in general, it refers to a phenomenon or ability that is not explainable by natural or scientific laws and is often associated with supernatural or mystical forces. In the context of stage or illusion, magic refers to tricks or techniques used by performers to create the appearance of supernatural or impossible events, such as levitation, disappearing objects, or mind reading. In some cultural or religious contexts, magic may refer to rituals, spells, or practices intended to manipulate spiritual or supernatural forces for specific purposes such as healing, protection, or divination. Overall, the concept of magic often involves a suspension of natural laws or limitations, and a belief in a reality that extends beyond what can be perceived by the five senses or understood by rational thought. 
Clearly, AI is smart enough to know that magic is sometimes trickery or illusion. However, it acknowledges the supernatural side by mentioning ritual spells or practices intended to manipulate spiritual or supernatural forces for specific purposes, such as healing, protection, or divination. This definition from ChatGPT is not inconsistent with the many definitions of magic that I've stumbled upon on the internet. Of course, whenever you research the word magic, you'll invariably find the alternate spelling of magic, M-A-G-I-C, with the K on the end, as in M-A-G-I-C-K. So what's the difference in spelling all about? Now, from previous research, I already knew the difference, but this is the mini dissertation that ChatGPT offered. M-A-G-I-C is the more common spelling of the word and generally refers to stage illusions, sleight of hand, and other forms of entertainment or trickery. It can also refer to fictional or literary depictions of supernatural or mystical powers. On the other hand, magic, M-A-G-I-C-K, is a term coined by the occultist Aleister Crowley in the early 20th century to distinguish his brand of spiritual practices from stage magic. It is often used by practitioners of various mystical or esoteric traditions to refer to a form of ritual or spiritual practice that seeks to access and channel supernatural or divine forces to achieve personal or spiritual goals. While the two terms may overlap in certain contexts, they generally refer to different concepts. Magic, M-A-G-I-C, is more commonly associated with entertainment or fictional depictions of supernatural powers, while magic, M-A-G-I-C-K, is more often associated with spiritual or mystical practices. Again, this little essay on the spelling difference is not inconsistent with what I already knew, so I'll call it good. However, I would like to credit this YouTuber called Foolish Fish, who discusses all things magical, mystical, and esoteric, for his saying that magic is about making the improbable more probable. This idea goes for manifestation as well, which to me is basically the same thing. In essence, what he's saying is when a person practices magic or works on a personal manifestation, he, she, or they are still bound by what is possible. In other words, I cannot sprout wings and fly to Germany, but I can manifest a plane ticket or enough money to purchase an airline ticket. Back to Foolish Fish's point. It's improbable that my best friend in Tampa will knock on my door in the next five minutes, but it's not impossible. For example, with Hoodoo, I might be able to do some head work on her boss such that he would feel compelled to send her to work at a nearby office. And today just happens to be the day that she's in my town just about to knock on my door in order to surprise me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's not her. <laughs> Child, we have to work within the realm of reality, so you can't expect to make something that is physically impossible happen, but you might be able to make something that is improbable a little bit more probable. Who practices magic? The short answer is everybody and your mama them. <laughs> no, seriously, magic has been practiced historically since time immemorial. Now, if you want the deep history, I respectfully submit that you might want to go Google the mysteries of 
ancient Kemet, and offshoots like the Order of the Golden Dawn. You might also study the Jewish mystical system known as Kabbalah or Asian esoteric traditions. Now, if you did this, you'd only be scratching the surface. There are so many variations of these and so many other forms of magic from different cultures throughout the world. There are some who would argue, though, that most of magic can be traced all the way back to ancient Kemet. Anyway, I will not be talking about any of those as this podcast focuses on the culture and traditions of the Southern United States. So magic practiced in the South mostly originated in West Africa with some admixture from regional indigenous tribes and European Christianity. When thinking about magical practices in Southern states, you need to know your geography. So for example, Vodun or Voodoo, for those who don't know any better, originated in West Africa and is a religion that is traditionally practiced mostly in Louisiana, which used to belong to France and has a very heavy Catholic influence. Hoodoo, which is also based heavily on West African spiritual traditions, is also found in Louisiana, but it is practiced in Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and other southern states. Both of these practices use and incorporate Christian concepts and symbols. For example, Vodun utilizes Catholic saints, and Hoodoo practitioners often use psalms. In the areas of Georgia where I've lived, we were a lot less familiar with Vodun and Hoodoo. Here we use the term root worker or root doctor. Root workers or doctors used herbs and items found in nature as tools for divination, healing, and other magical practices. Folks here are also used to working with what you might call a spiritualist for divination and other forms of magic. Now, honestly, a spiritualist is really... for lack of a better term, more like a witch, but no one in the South has historically wanted to say they were working with a witch. And that, of course, is related to the religious beliefs of those of us who live in the South. Now, I know my limitations, so I'm not going to go too deep into any of these practices, but I do plan to bring on professionals and academics that I trust to help us take a deeper dive into these topics at a later date. Moving on. So let's talk about the elephant in this heavily Christian room, and that is religion versus magic in Southern culture, which I just touched on just about a few minutes ago. Now, from my own personal knowledge, there are many staunch Christians who regularly consult with root doctors and spiritualists for magic work, despite biblical warnings about the dangers of magic. In most cases, they are average folks like your mama Nim and auntie who are having major problems with physical, mental, or spiritual health, money, and love, for example. Legend has it that enslaved Africans used the spiritual practices that gave birth to the magic that we know in the South as a means of obtaining freedom. Now, it's not unusual for folks to have a magic practitioner to engage in a divination practice or ritual to find out if for example, their spouse is cheating. Of course, the divination session is then followed up by some form of work or spell to break up the affair. I've known of cases where folks with issues of an unknown cause are taken to a root doctor or a spiritualist to see if they've had some work done on them. This also applies to folks who can't seem to get anything going for themselves. Now, when we go out on the porch later, I'm going to tell you about a case that happened at a hospital where I used to work. It involved a patient and a root doctor. 
So where do you find a practitioner? Nowadays, you can find any type of practitioner you wish online or via social media. But I advise you to get testimonials from verified clients. You do not want to find yourself in a scam situation. Now, if you're like my brother, he'd say, if you are seeking this type of assistance, you're already being scammed. <laughs> but to him and other skeptics, I say, let people spend their money how they want to. Personally, I believe in magic. So there's that. Child, when I was growing up, one of the biggest spiritualists in our area got most of her customers from ads she ran during, nah, you'll never guess. You got it. Gospel radio programs, child. <laughs> Again, back to that kind of contradictory relationship between churches and spiritualists. There always seemed to have been an underground connection between the church and these spiritualists. Now, besides ads on gospel radio stations back then, you might also find a spiritualist by driving around. Oftentimes, spiritualists would practice out of a house decorated with neon images like praying hands or open palms, which indicate that they use palmistry for divination. I've also seen ones with neon crystal balls. In my day, root doctors were found mostly by word of mouth. It was kind of like a street pharmacist. You just had to know who to ask. <laughs> All right, it's time to go out on the porch. Get your glass. I got the sweet tea waiting. So do you remember me mentioning the supernatural story about the patient and the root doctor that happened when I worked at a local hospital? Well, here's what happened. There was this patient who came in for a rather common outpatient procedure. There were no problems during the procedure and things seemed to be going along beautifully. All of a sudden, without any warning, the patient took a dire turn for the worse. We call that someone has coded. And with no medical explanation for the change, the patient fell into a coma. Remember, this was supposed to be a very simple outpatient surgery. The poor patient remained in a coma for what looked like no reason, at least no medical reason. The doctor who had been caring for this patient for about a week was at a loss. But one day he overheard some family saying that they heard that someone had put roots on the patient. Again, for the uninitiated, this meant that someone worked with a root doctor to place a curse of sorts on the patient. Several days passed with the patient remaining in a coma with absolutely no improvement, not knowing what else to do. The doctor, remembering what the patient's family had said, called in a root worker to see the patient. Of course, the family gave their permission for the root doctor to do his thing. Now, you'll find that we change back and forth between the terms root doctor and root worker. But I'm going to go ahead and stick with the term root doctor because this man was doing his thing in a hospital. <laughs> now, believe it or not, the patient recovered almost immediately. It was amazing. Now, some might say that this was all in the patient's mind, but remember, the patient was in a coma and unaware of what had happened. Now, that was a true story. I remember the nurses on the floor telling us when it happened and our mouths were just kind of hanging open. <laughs> so let me tell you a story about my grandmother. Okay, my grandmother never agreed with the doctors when they told her she had polio. According to grandma, she left Alabama one time to visit her first husband's family in Georgia. She says while she was there, she went to the well to get some water. And after she took one sip, she immediately developed a limp. 
Grandma used to say, somebody in that family put something down for me. That was her way of saying that they put roots on her. According to my mom, roots are meant especially for a particular person in this type of situation. So no one else who walked in my grandmother's steps or drank from that well would be affected because the roots basically had my grandmother's name on them. They were put down especially for her. Treacherous child. (laughs) Now let me tell you about this last scenario. One of my friends worked with a spiritualist remotely. I don't mean via Zoom or Google Meet. This was way back before video calls. I'm talking about the mid-1990s. Anyway, my friend called this woman, and during the conversation, the woman asked her to hold up her palm and turn it outward. Of course, my friend, who was desperate for help, complied. Get this, when she held out her palm, the woman began to describe everything in the room exactly as it was. Now, mind you, this woman was in her mid-80s and never really left her home for anything. She lived about 100 miles south of my friend, so it's not like she had any way of knowing anything about what was in my friend's house. I mean, the woman was able to describe things that had happened like instantaneously, like you just sat a cup down on the table or there is a t-shirt laying on the uh, sofa. So not general things like you have a brown sofa or something very, you know, nebulous. No, she was very, very descriptive and very specific in her description. (laughs) Anyway, I'm going to tell you right now, I would have immediately hung up that damn phone. That's too much magic for me. (laughs) But I will tell you this, that woman did some work for my friend that I just ain't at liberty to discuss. (laughs) Well, it's getting late. I see the evening star has already set over in the west. I shall enjoy y'all. Now, I left a lot of meat on the bones of this discussion. If any of you want to pick at them, drop me a line at Gwen at thesouthernwitchinghour.com. You can follow me on Instagram at thesouthernwitchinghour. Hey, share this podcast with your friends and family. It's now available on Amazon Audible, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and of course, Spotify. I'm still working on Apple, honey. (laughs) Anyway, I'll see y'all next time. Be safe and remember, Lady G loves you.